Welcome to Off Screen Let's Get Cinematic. I'm Van Connor. And I'm Bex Perfect. And this is your seven day guide to everything movies. Boom. So, Bex, how's, how's lockdown treating you? It's been like week 90 or something? Week, week 157, more like. <laughs> it's fine. The weather helps. Um, there's been some great stuff that you can watch, you know, on TV as well as on movies. So, I've been keeping busy. But I tell you what, it's the screen time that is getting me. My eyes are feeling like <laughs> they are no longer knowing how to focus. So, you know. I'm having to take a few more walks now that we're allowed just to make sure that I can see what's going on in the distance and not just on my TV I, screen. I can absolutely sympathise. And of course, you know, it's all about, uh, you know, entertainment on our home screens right now as, as the cinemas continue to stay closed. Uh, interesting bit in the uh, news this week about that is that uh, Christopher Nolan's uh, Tenet has proven uh, something of a, a controversial, uh, uh, well, potential controversy maker in that apparently they're not budging on that release date, uh, but they are placing a contingency on it, according to reports, that they will not release Tenet, which is, I think, uh, the 10th or the 17th of July, depending on the country you're in. Uh, they will not release it unless 80% of cinemas are open. And if it doesn't open, if it underperforms, another report suggests the ripple effect will shove block, uh, blockbuster poles back to the fall, November, Christmas kind of a time. So, Bex, we could be looking at our TV screens for a long time, dear. Yes, we could. And you know what? Those, those days of Mondays and Tuesday screenings and those lovely cinemas only feel like an Ugh. even longer way off. Um, what a shame. But you know what? We've got to do what's right for us. We've got to do what keeps us all safe. Yep. So if that's the way it's got to go, it's the way it's got to go for now. Darn tootin'. And you know what? Speaking of those amazing screening room experiences that we've had, there is one film we'll get to in our selection of films being made available on digital this week that I know you and I had a very soulful and wonderful time in a screening room uh, in very recently, one of our last films together. Um, we'll talk about that in a moment. Let's first talk about this is coming to digital. Uh, these are all coming to digital on Monday, May the 25th. So this coming Monday, uh, and these these are three films that I think are fairly high profile. They were all fairly buzzy. One of them was almost entirely ignored at the Oscars, which wounded me personally and relates to our wonderful experience in the screening rooms. But let's start by talking about the Lighthouse. Did you did you have the pleasure of the Lighthouse? Was it? I didn't actually, and I know this is kind of a this is another move for Robert Pattinson to kind of mm. secure himself as a, as a serious actor. Um, and, uh, <laughs> I, I heard. I mean, I heard that this is nothing but bonkers this is men in a lighthouse <laughs> getting completely going completely insane i mean sounds right up your street what you gonna do will you kill me will you will you kill me like you done that gold i did liar you murdering dog twas ye what changed the wind on us Twas ye what damned us, dog, twas ye. Will you do what you wished you'd done to old Winslow? Will you best me then? For Winslow were right. Thomas, you're a dog. A filthy dog! A dog! I will say, and as that clip will demonstrate, this film was a lot funnier before lockdown, OK? It was, <laughs> honestly. Two men in a confined space slowly losing their marbles was funnier before I spent two and a half to three months in a flat with uh, my, my dear flatmate and today's birthday boy, Mr Daniel Savory. By the way, shout out to uh, our mutual friend, Mr Rob Yeomans. It's his birthday today. Oh, happy birthday. Today. Uh, 
But The Lighthouse um, by Robert Eggers, I mean, this is black and white, 4 by 3 I think it's even smaller than 4 by 3 ratio. It is rooted in the horror genre. It's rooted in Edgar Allan Poe. I think they started life as a Poe adaptation. Uh, really bonkers, great performances uh, from both Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. When does Willem Dafoe not deliver? You're a dog! A dog! Oh, I, I love imagine him like an angry pirate. Like, he just does something like that really well. And also, you know, it's really nice to know that The Lighthouse has essentially become a documentary now, so it's just... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the Lighthouse, 12 Monkeys, Contagion and Outbreak. Who saw these things becoming sort of relevant sociological dramas? Whoever dreamed um, <laughs> them are, are just fortune tellers, you know? <laughs> exactly. But speaking of things that, you know, relate to, you know, uh, climates of the world, um, and this is one that we, we had a really uh, incredible uh, screening of, you and I, and I believe we shared this with, with John Snow from Channel 4 News. Okay. Um, and it was uh, it was Queen and Slim, one of our last screenings together. Yeah. It's finally hitting digital. You were a big fan of this. Oh, I gosh, I loved this because it's like, it's like your ultimate modern-day Bonnie and Clyde story. It's mm. beautifully acted by Jodie Comer-Smith, if I've pronounced her name. That's right. I believe that was right. Yes, and also my man, my main man on the big screen, Daniel Kaluuya. <laughs> I absolutely adore the choices that he makes as an actor. He is just phenomenal. And this film is like a piece of art from start to finish. It's got an incredible story. It's got an amazing way of showing you how the uh, social media can blow up a scenario and turn you... Oh, yeah into a hero of the people, but also an enemy of the state. You're a black man that killed a cop and then took his gun. I'm not a criminal. You are now. I just want to go home. And I want to see my family. If you turn yourself in, you will never see them again. All we can do is go forward. There is nothing back there for us. Please. Let's just keep going. Jodie Turner-Smith. Jody I was thinking of Jodie Comer as well. Yeah. Uh, it's definitely killing Eve, isn't it? <laughs> it, is, it definitely is. But it's because that's on again at the minute. That's yes, why you've made that, that mistake, is. because she's everywhere she's at the moment. And she's also been you... touted as the new Furiosa. That's it, yeah. Yeah, so... Um, yeah, I heard this. That, that's insane. Yeah, I, was, I think that's what it was. I think I was reading that news article yesterday, and it's just kind of subliminally sat there in my mind. But Jodie Turner-Smith, congratulations on your new baby. She was doing the press tour for... Um, Queen and Slim. She was uh, I did not know sporting that. a beautiful baby bump. Yep, her and Joshua Jackson have welcomed a lovely little baby. So she is she is she Joshua Jackson's lady. She his wife. Yes, his wife. Do you know what he? Do you know what? he? You better get up on your... Joshua Jackson has yeah. Joshua Jackson's game is tight, yo. Yeah, I mean, really is. Look, look, all I can say is lucky lady. Um, <laughs> lucky boy. <laughs> yeah, there we go. We agree on something. Um, I love this film. You love this film. We ended up in tears at the end of this film. Oh, we wept. We did. We wept. Do you know what? But I think we probably wept a few months later as well, or a few weeks later, when we saw that it it absolutely did nothing across awards season. It's a travesty. Nothing. Well, like you said about the Bonnie and Clyde thing, I think it does the Bonnie and Clyde thing on the one hand, but it also does some really biting social commentary at the same time as regards the attitude to race in America and certain cultural <laughs> attitudes and certain tolerances and ignorances and discriminations. And I think it's a really phenomenal film. Uh, like I said, we, we watched this with with John Stone, and that kind of made the film for us. I think yeah. he really loved that film. He did, and he and, was not uh, the person you'd expect yeah. to see going to watch this uh, with a bunch of churnos. <laughs> I think there's probably ten of us I've, in the room, and he just comes I've in. 
heard a four-letter word come out of Jon Snow's mouth several times that I never expected to hear. But we can reaffirm he is, like, one of the nicest guys in telly. He is... Oh, he's lovely. A delight that that wears a a gorgeous velveteen suit, shall we say. That man man is so cool, I got a bro hug from him afterwards. That's how much we all bonded over this film. But let's talk then about another one. I thought this was really moving. This reduced me to rubble. This comes with a certain cultural barrier as regards how much you know Mr. Rogers, you know, Fred Rogers and Mr. Rogers' Neighbourhood. And it's, of course, A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood, starring uh, Tom Hanks uh, as Fred Rogers. It's the story of the journalist Lloyd Vogel writing the article in which it's an article on heroes in which he interviews and profiles Fred Rogers. This uh, piece will be for an issue about heroes. Do you consider yourself a hero? I don't think of myself as a hero. No, not at all. What about Mr. Rogers? Is he a hero? I, I don't understand the question. Well, there's you, Fred, and then there's the character you play, Mr. Rogers. You said it was a play at the plate. Is that is that what is that what happened to you? I, I'm I'm here to interview you, Mr. Rogers. Well, that is what we're doing, isn't it? Now, Hanks makes this, I think, definitely. Yeah, one hundred percent, and I think it's a beautiful performance. If that cultural barrier, I suppose, is absolutely right, I remember talking it through with you, Van, and kind of saying. I didn't really know who Mr. Rogers was, but you were like, oh my goodness, Mm. I remember him. So you enjoyed this almost two or three times more than I did. Not to say that I didn't enjoy it. Totally. um, Because of that connection. But what I found was that it was just really nice to be able to learn something new about an icon of children's TV, genuinely a very, very nice, well-loved man. And it's a lovely, Mm. gorgeous, gentle film. And again, a fantastic performance, not only from Tom Hanks, but also Matthew Rhys too. Yes, Matthew Rhys, definitely. Also, I mean, just want to single out as well before we we close, uh, Marielle Heller, who wrote and directed this as well, gave us uh, Diary of a Teenage Girl, which I'm a huge, huge fan of. And uh, wonderful style to this film where they use claymation, they use small uh, toy replicas of the cities for the cityscape scenes. very retro. Establishing shots. Very wonderful film. So you've got three very different, very interesting ones there. You've got The Lighthouse, which uh, I don't think is going to be the most amusing film if you're enjoying a similar lockdown. Literally imitating life. To me. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Queen and Slim, which I think everyone should watch. 100%. Phenomenal. Yeah. And A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, which I think we were both very charmed by. And we're back and again once more on your small screen. But this time it is not movies that are made for cinema, bringing it down to the small screen, but it's actually movies that are on your telly box. So your free view, you're watching at your own leisure and we've got your whole week ahead. So we're kicking off with Saturday with a teen movie that I have not watched in years, but have absolutely grown up loving. Uh, this is I bet. The Craft, five-star, 11.25 p.m., Feruza Balk. This is Nev Campbell. This is witchcraft in high school, the coolest way of accessorizing your uniform, and the best way to summon up all of those demons. <laughs> this is the film. You know, before we play the clip, we should point out this is a little, because you may well know this, there's some people who don't know, uh, The Craft came out a very, very specific time in 90s pop culture, and it came out just before, I think it was about a year to 18 months before Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Right. Which, of course, then brought with it, in turn, a ripple effect of certain supernatural shows, 
was rather like the X-Files had two or three years before that had brought with it a wave of, of pop culture things that had to deal with the occult and the, uh, you know, the, the extraterrestrial things like that. Uh, the craft is arguably the focal point of a certain subset of 90 supernaturally tinged fiction that's still going on today and leads all the way to things like Twilight and then through Supernatural and things like that. And there's a very, very telling Thing that it influenced that you will notice if you listen to the background song in this clip. Sarah, looking for someone? No. Um, some of these football make the girlfriends come and watch them practice as if it's interesting. Yeah, like girlfriend over there, Chris Hooker. I don't even know him. Nancy's sorry about what happened in biology, and she's mean to everybody, so don't take it personally. You're Nancy. Ah. She's Nancy, I'm Bonnie, and that's Rochelle. Hi, I'm Sarah. Yeah, we know who you are. Do you want to go for coffee? No, I can't. I got to get home. My dad's waiting for me. <laughs> you can make something up. Of course, it's it's that, that that old Smith's classic, it's How Soon Is Now, which would wind up going on to become the theme song to Charmed in 1998, a series which I'm sure you've had some passing familiarity with. I, I did love, I did love, almost as love as, I, as much as I love, like, you know, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, but let's not go into that. Um, <laughs> this is, you know, for all those reasons, you should be watching The Craft, but... Mm. For, for my reasons to watch the craft is then it just proves again the 90s was just the coolest decade ever and it was a real staple of sort of teen goth culture wasn't it around yeah. the time like it influenced a lot of mainstream elements of goth culture it made sort of fledgling B and C list stars out of Feruza Bork Nev Campbell would go on to ascend uh, later on with a film that we are going to talk about uh, uh, shortly she would you know ascend higher through the Hollywood ranks um, I'm trying to think is it uh, what's her name who went on to star in The Mentalist. Oh, uh, Robin Tunney is in this as well. Robin Tunney, yeah. yeah, went on to star in The Mentalist several years later. She became a huge uh, TV star on that for like six years. It's a very influential film in terms of what it means. I think it it's been rebooted me. or sequelized. No, leave it, because it's not going to be dated. It's just, it's so brilliant and it's so... It allows people who feel a little bit left out and a little bit different in school to embrace who they are. And that's what I really loved about this movie. It wasn't your clueless, which was all about the cliquey, uh. you know, top end of the, the social spectrum. This is for the outcasts, and I loved that. Mm. Did you, uh, do you do you have fun memories of uh, Skeet Ulrich as the yeah. heartthrob in this? Yeah, movie? I do. And, I, you know, and Skeet Ulrich's shown up in um, Riverdale most recently. He's... Yeah, he's just quit. I was reading this morning. He's quit that apparently because, and this is the quote, he was bored creatively. Perfect. Imagine boring Ski Ulrich creatively. Well, really? Also, imagine what's going to pay your bills now, mate. <laughs> <laughs> the residuals from as good as it gets and scream. That's where it yeah, is. Yeah, <laughs> Ski Ulrich, honestly. Get, get, get some perspective there, mister. Anyway, let's move on because there is a big film that I think is quite seminal for you from your sort of young 90s, teenage kind of years as well. This I is... thought for you as well. Well, I'm, I'm going to surprise you with this one. I go even further back on uh, the okay. format of choice. But this is Sunday night. Uh, this Oh, no, Sunday afternoon, in fact. This is Space Sunday Jam. Afternoon, yeah, yeah. yeah, Space Jam, ITV2, 1.20 p.m. Now, we're, we've got LeBron James talking about a sequel about this and, you know, whether or not they're going to Happening. It's happening, yeah. It's, he's announcing things like on his Instagram about this. So, sports fans, this is definitely one for you, isn't it, Ban? Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because it, it's primarily viewed, I think, by people who haven't seen it as a sports film. But anyone who knows about it knows that it's the the sort of sports element of it is almost incidental. So, the plot, if you're not familiar, is um, aliens want to basically 
take all the Looney Tunes characters and use them as a sort of living museum uh, to Looney Tunes characters, basically in a theme park. And uh, the only way the Looney Tunes characters can find to barter for their freedom is to challenge these aliens to a basketball game, utilising the talents of an abducted Michael Jordan, who at this point in his career was going through that weird moment where he decided he was going to give it up and become a baseball player (laughs) for reasons that are either bonkers or have to do with gambling charges, depending on which urban legend you believe. I'll tell you what, I'll give you a little sample of the sort of wacky, almost who-framed Roger Rabbit, but a little younger tone that they really go for with this. Look, I want to help, but I haven't played basketball in a long time. My timing's all off. Eh, we'll fix your timing. Look at our facilities. We've got hoops. We've got weights. We've got balls. Whoa! Sure do. Place is a mess. Mess? You're worried about a little mess? There's nothing here a little spitshine wouldn't fix. Spitshine! So lots of spitting jokes, and, and this is the movie, of course, that introduced Lola Bunny as well, and and sexually confused a, a, an entire generation of like twelve year old boys. <laughs> but uh, you know, no, Bill Murray's in there, Wayne Knight's in there. It's a great movie. I know loads of people love this, and this is a movie that, as people have grown up, they've always referenced, and it's just like that kind of cult hit as well, which is why we're seeing a sequel. What twenty five years later, I think. I will just say, actually, I've just said it was a great movie. In actuality, sorry, I should clarify, Space Jam is not a great movie. It's not even actually a particularly good movie, but it's so nostalgically viewed that you sort of look back on it now as this sort of treasure, treasure trove of mid-90s cross of when, when you know, Pepsi commercials could define an entire movie <laughs> yeah. and things. It's, it's very much a representation of what Hollywood was in the summer of 1996, just before uh, CG blockbusters like like, for instance, Independence Day and things like that, uh, became the norm. You know, the, the, those were still very few and far between. They hadn't changed the industry yet. And this is very much how capitalism used to work in mainstream blockbuster cinema, if you know what Yeah, I mean. absolutely. And do you know what? The only reason why I didn't really watch this was I wasn't kind of into ba- ba- uh, basketball at the time. It didn't. It was like a boys' fun movie. And to be honest, I was just so in love with Who Framed Roger Rabbit that I didn't think any mm. other sort of part animation, part live action could actually live up to that. So I kind of just kept re-watching that instead. Well, that's it as well, because... Because you and I are, are, you know, apparently millennials, we are, you know, Roger Rabbit is sort of our version of this. Those slightly younger than us, I think, who are now referred to as Gen Z or whatever, (laughs) uh, for them, Space Jam is exactly that. And you know what? Fair play to them. I can see the appeal. Uh, It works for me. I still have a Marvin the Martian little basketball game that sits on my action figure shelf I'm very fond of. Um, Great movie. Check it out. Good time for the family. The whole family will enjoy that. There we go. So, moving on to start your next week, we have Kong Skull Island, ITV2, 6.40pm. I actually really enjoyed this when this came out. I remember catching it in the cinema. I like the idea of a Kong movie as well. I like to see how that gets reinvented, how it gets changed. It's it's fine. It does exactly what it says on the tin. It got a little bit of a mixed reception, though, am I right? I mean, a little bit mixed. I think it became more of a fan hit than intended, but critics weren't actually that harsh on it. This was uh, Jordan Volt-Roberts' sort of re- re- reimagining of the Kong legend, designed to fit into the Godzilla universe that had begun in 2014. So, you know, we had Godzilla King of the Monsters after this. We've got Godzilla vs. Kong next year as well to come. Uh, and this is, of course, you know, chapter two of that four-film saga. And this is, of course, you know, the Vietnam era... Yeah. Uh, 
you know, a bunch of soldiers take a bunch of scientists to Skull Island, you know, in search of mythical MacGuffin A, you know, that will help them achieve mythical myth, mythical quest B. And of course, they meet Kong and a bunch of monsters along the way. Yeah, you smell that? That's death. What the hell is this place? This is what's left of Kong's parents. I've taken enough photos of mass graves to recognize one. The crash site's just on the other side of this valley. We'll cross through and make it to the highest point west. Uh-uh. This place is a real no-no, sir. We need to be going to the north side right now. And you're welcome to do that, my man. By yourself. I'm not leaving Jack out there. Now, who's with me? We can make it. You might be right we can make it. Now, stay sharp. Keep an eye out. I've only been here 28 years. What do I know? Hell of a cast on this, you got to admit. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing cast. But also, the cinematography on it and the, I suppose the effects really live up to it as well. So it'd be mm. interesting. We obviously saw it on the big screen. I think it will do fine on the small screen as well. I think, you know, enough time has passed anyway. So if you've caught it in the cinema, you may want to revisit this one again. But just everything going for it is is really strong. So I really enjoyed it. Don't worry too much about the mixed reviews on this. Just go and have a bit of escapism and a bit of fun. That, that something like Kong will bring to you. And of course, let's not forget, you've, if you need further motivation, it has got, you know, Tom Hiddleston in, in you know, tight trousers running around a jungle. I'm sure there's more than a few people in the world that would very much enjoy that for them. Of all of the cast, that's who you specifically bring up. <laughs> I, I think I think he's sexier in this than Brie Larson is. I'm just going to come out and say it. You okay. know, that is a handsome man. Okie dokie. We're back on the couch with you for some free view action. So on to Tuesday then. Should we have uh, should we have some some legit action? Should we go a bit Angelina Bullock curving action? Because that sounds like a bit of fun. Yeah, let's do that. I mean, it's something that you may have wanted for a while. <laughs> Sorry, you are the worst. I'm going lockdown crazy, aren't I? Um, ITV4, eleven twenty p.m. Now. This is an odd pairing in my mind. Angelina Jolie and James McAvoy. I think there might be a height discrepancy between the two of them here. There's also Morgan Freeman in there who's really going to confuse you. Oh it's the third act of this because you just you just look at this something what what? <laughs> like why is why is Morgan saying these things? The only thing but, I remember uh, about this film is the poster. I just I just remember mm. seeing the two of them on this poster and I never got actually got round to watching this. So what is this movie about cuz all I just remember so, is the cast. <laughs> This is uh, a, a you know a nasty, grisly comic book action based on a series of comics by Mark Miller. Uh, you know, sort of very known, uh, very known comic uh, personality. Um, this is the story of a, a young man who lives a sort of menial life. He has a muck job in an office, and he discovers that uh, he his father, his recently murdered father, was a member of an organization known as the Fraternity, a, an elite group of assassins who can bend bullets, defy physics, all through convoluted means they get their orders from a magical loom this is far less silly than it sounds i'll, tell you, I'll give you a little snippet of the sort of pacing and tone of this it's daft but it's fun daft what? oh my god oh my god what the just happened please 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 strike faster please please strike please strike faster please please understand that i care about my life No! 
Angelina and McAvoy there, and as you can tell, there are bullets whizzing, there are cars are flying, there's traffic whizzing past them. It's uh, it's a wild ride. I will say that an absolutely wild ride. But it is grisly, it is nasty. It features one of my favourite ever uses of a Nine Inch Nails song, and it's got a pretty nifty role in there for uh, an almost you know blink and you'll forget him, Chris Pratt as well. Wow, young gun Chris Pat- Pratt, like early <laughs> years. <laughs> early, I feel like I'm saying something like it's like an infant in this. <laughs> um, I feel like this is a lot older of a movie than it actually is. I'm not sure when it came out, but it's... Um... Uh, 2008, I believe. I think it was August in 2008. June or August 2008, yeah. Interesting. Okay, all right. Well, that one, again, as we said, is ITV for 11.20pm. Now, we mentioned her before. She's in it again, and this is the film that kind of cemented her in Hollywood royalty in terms... Horror royalty, shall we say. Um, mm, this, yeah. this film is, is the genre-defining film of the 90s so 1996 it's on five star it's 11 25 p.m it can only be what van i'm gonna like the clip see if you can tell us you know i think it's her father <laughs> why can't they find her pops man because he's probably dead his body will come popping up in the last reel somewhere eyes gouged out fingers cut off teeth knocked out see the police are always off track with <laughs> if they'd watch prom night they'd save time there's a formula to it. A very simple formula. Everybody's a suspect. That's right. Jamie Kennedy can only be scream, can't it? But of course, Jamie Kennedy is not the breakout star who became very briefly the next Jamie Lee Curtis. We are, of course, talking about Nev Campbell, who yes. was in The Craft earlier, and he's phenomenal here as well. But this also, of course, stars Ski Ulrich as well. So both <laughs> Ski Ulrich and Nev Campbell are in both The Craft and Scream. Should we just should we just ignore the fact that Ski Ulrich's in this? <laughs> <laughs> just, I, would, I would rather fixate on the fact that Matthew Lillard is in this yes. because he's phenomenal in script. I'm feeling kind of woozy. I do like Matthew Lillard in this, but do you know what? Like yeah. this, you, if you've ever sort of reinvested yourself into horror, you can't ignore the first ten minutes of this movie. This was oh no. this was Drew Barrymore's comeback. This was her, <laughs> you know, her moment of iconicness in this beyond yeah. DT. I mean that opener just made suddenly mm. everyone want to go and see this film at the cinema. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? Because the trope of you... Because obviously it's very... No, it's not really a spoiler. The opening scene of this film is let's put Drew Barrymore forward. We do the classic horror sequence of, you know, I'm, I'm taunting you over the phone. There's, you know, a brutal chase sequence and death. But that, of course, is so rooted within the horror genre. Let's take the biggest star off them early on and it takes you right back to Psycho in 1960. Yeah. Let's get Janet Lee, and we'll put her front and centre and, and then we'll offer and she, in fact, won't be the lead. And that's the whole thing. So you think, you know, initially, if you've never Never seen the film, you think, oh, this is Drew Barrymore's movie, and then the rug gets pulled 10 minutes into this 100 minute long legend. And of course, it's all Nev Campbell and Rose McGowan and uh, Jamie Kennedy and Ski Ulrich. All those witches, all those witches, Rose McGowan from Charmed and Nev Campbell from The Craft. (laughs) Suddenly, they become just murder hunters in this. I mean, yeah, it's brilliant and it fits that teen genre as Mm. well, really well. It opens up horror to a whole new audience. And to be honest, the horror genre in itself is something that is so hard to keep doing well that you have to kind of Mm. find something different. And when this came along, it completely redefined it. 
Well, that's it. Like you say, of the horror genre, every five or so years there is always a mainstream benchmark film or a film that becomes mainstream then becomes a benchmark that redefines where the genre is tonally for that moment, spawns a series of imitators, cash-ins, homages, things like that. Scream was very much one of those moments and led to the the sort of resurrection, the the revival of teen horror in sort of mid to late 1990s, gave us things like I Know What You Did Last Summer, Urban Legend, uh, loads of imitators and knockoffs, things like Cherry Falls, which is a personal favourite of mine, disturbing behaviour. Oh, course, in a horror scenario. That's mm. that's just the very basics of the mechanics of it and why it works so well. Absolutely, yeah. So, what we got then for Thursday? Let's move on to uh, something a bit more uh, a bit more IRL, something a bit more stranger than fiction, something documentarian, we shall say. Should we talk about The Imposter? which is on uh, Channel 4 at 5 past 10 on Thursday night. This was a really disturbing documentary. Did you you see this I did see this, and I remember getting into a bit of a a conversation with another critic, actually, over it, because it was hyped. It was really hyped, and I loved the Mm. story. And there was another one which had just come out on Channel 4, in fact. There was a different documentary, completely different scenario. And the way that that was formatted, I was really gripped by. And then I just thought the power of a documentary is is so brilliant if you get it really right. And so The Imposter, you then kind of get into the field where this, is, this actually was something that I think brought up award buzz about it. It was that much taken off. It wasn't just like a, a popular zeitgeisty kind of uh, documentary. It was one of those ones that pre-Netflix, pre-making a murder, pre all that kind of stuff, it just made an impact. It's a blue cover document. It's a blue tint cover documentary, you see, and blue tint cover documentaries always get awards. But so, Blackfish, the Imposter, and Citizen Four. Case in point: if you've got a blue tint on that documentary cover, <laughs> you may well get some awards buzz. But this is, of course, the story of a young boy who is a true story. Young boy went missing. His family had no idea where he was for mm. years and years. One day, someone turned up claiming to be said boy, only instead of being American he was now French, his eyes were a different colour, his hair was a different colour nobody believed for one second it was the same kid, except for the family who ignored every possible contradiction and accepted him anyway, of course, there had to be an investigation. The judge insisted on separate interviews and part of the evidence that was in those interviews was a family photo album and the judge said, listen the only way for you to prove that it's you're really Nicholas, we got pictures here that you've never seen before. I'm gonna show you five of them. Number one, okay. Number two, okay. Number three, okay. And okay, number four, okay. On the five one, I made a mistake. This is kind of like three identical strangers in yeah. it's so weird you can't believe this this actually happened but do check it out on channel 4 on Thursday night at 5 past 10 uh, I recommend seeing it just to know the story whether or not you like the documentary the, the story is so messed up that it's just worth knowing so Friday night Bex where shall we close we shall close on an absolute classic movie um, I'm going to say the words John Coffey and that should give you exactly what you need to know about what movie we're talking about we're talking about the Green Mile on film 4 at 11 10 p.m. Oh. Your name is John Coffey. Yes, sir, boss. Like to drink. Only not spelled the same. Oh, you can spell, can you? Just my name, boss. J O. My name is Paul Edgecombe. If I'm not here, you can ask for Mr. Terwilliger, Mr. Howell, or Mr. Stanton. These gentlemen right there. 
questions. Do you leave the light on after bedtime? Because I get a little scared in the dark sometimes. If it's a strange play. Oh, is exactly right. And you hear that clip, you know, like the drink, but spelt different. Oh, I'm goodness like, oh, me. Oh, man. I, I, do you know, I, we, this, this has been made even sadder by the fact that Michael Clark Duncan went and died on us. I know. Like, I miss Michael Clark Duncan now. Great actor, great actor. And again, another, another brilliant... Um, Another brilliant turn from Tom Hanks. I mean, that man knows how to choose a movie. Um, he does. He knows, he knows how to get you crying, and the Green Mile, I think, absolutely proves that. It's, I think if you don't cry at the Green Mile, you know, you, you, you have, have a heart no soul. Of, you have got a heart of stone. I mean, this, again, an- another combination of... It's like the Shawshank Redemption. There's just something in it which is beautifully mm. filmed, incredibly acted. It gives you something different, but at a gentle pace. And it's not something that is like fast and exciting, but it's just slow, but it gets your soul. And that's what's the beauty Absolutely. of it. Yeah. And of course, because um, I'm a big fan of, uh, of Stephen King, and I, I, you know, I'd read the Shawshank Redemption before I saw the film. I'd read Green Mile before I, I saw the film. And one of the things that genuinely irks me to this day is that for some reason, despite the fact that it's made by the same studio, written by the same guy, directed by the same guy, for some reason... This this adaptation of the Green Mile is not set in Shawshank Prison. It's set in a different prison. In the books, it is in Shawshank, and there is a mention of Andy Dufresne. So, you know, Stephen King was doing that whole cinematic universe thing before it was cool, and he was doing it in books. But Green Mile, absolutely check it out. And also, shout out for Doug Hutchinson from uh, The X-Files, played uh, Tombs in The X-Files, who plays Percy oh, uh, in this one. Yeah. And, oh, wow, uh, he's, he's played to perfection. I'd have given that man an Oscar buzz for this one. He's so perfectly awful but green mile i think that's the perfect way to end a week and we're continuing your off-screen move into the world of movies but through dvd and blu-ray and of course streaming and we've got a huge selection for you this week all available from monday the 25th of may we're going to kick off with a movie that you know we love because it's such a brilliant comeback for both martin lawrence and also will smith it is bad boys for life loved this didn't we well, I mean, we must love it, because we, we've talked about this many times now. We talked about it when it was theatrical, we talked about it was on digital. I think we'll talk about it again when it's on streaming, no doubt. But I really love Bad Boys for Life. I thought it was a really great sequel. Um, for my money, it was a perfect halfway point between the overblown sensibilities of the second movie and the more comedic, concept-driven elements of the first one. I think it had a lot more of the humour of the first one that I, I, I relied very, on. Very, very funny. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. also, there's already been talks about doing another follow-up as well. So, you know, well, there is, obviously uh... done something right. And don't forget, of course, there's a spin-off uh, TV series that's now entering its second series as well, LA's Finest, in which Gabrielle Union's character goes off on her own adventures in LA and has a, a, a cantankerous partner of her own, played by Jessica Alba. And of course, the big thing that ties those uh, together, as far as the law goes, is that you get Ernie Hudson as uh, as Grandpa Burnett. Yeah, sorry, Great Grandpa Burnett. Of course, now now that uh, Bad Boys for Life has has come out, weirdly, he looks younger than Martin Lawrence now. But uh, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll get over that. We'll get over that one right now next on our list is a film that you were not so sure about i remember this and i actually didn't see it as a result so it's just mercy you said something like it's like a 90s afternoon sunday afternoon movie that's what you didn't like about no. it 
I believe I, I didn't say. I think actually I said was it was an, it was an afternoon made-for-TV movie that happens to be set in the nineties, oh, right. but you wouldn't notice that unless you were paying attention. And it's the standard <laughs> to kill a mockingbird tale based on a true story. You know, fair enough. Uh, stars Michael B. Jordan, stars uh, Brie Larson, stars Jamie Foxx. It's written and directed by Daniel Destin Cretton, who's uh, doing uh, Shang Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings for Marvel now, which terrifies me because this is not a good movie. His last movie, I forget which one that was, wasn't very good. I like Short Term 12. That was fine. That was pretty good. Um, this, less so. But you know what? It's hitting all of those requisite boilerplate awards movie trailer markers. Have a listen. It is ordered, adjudged, and decreed that Walter McMillan is to face death by electrocution. This is my dad, sir. Sit down, young man. John, I want you to sit down now. He did nothing wrong. Please, Judge, hold on one second. I won't say it again. Sit down. Not if you're going to kill my dad for no reason. You killing my family, sir, you! You know what I mean? It's a movie yeah. of monologues and speeches. It, it is one of those. I, I didn't really go for it. Yeah. <laughs> tele, very televisual. This this feels like a made-for-streaming movie, definitely. Fair enough. Well, it might float your boat or it might not, as if your name is Van Connor. So, moving um, <laughs> very quickly on to something that launched in the cinemas at Christmas time was a big hit in awards season. Um, it's reignited a wonderful story. It is, of course, Little Women for the new generation. Um, this, for me, I really enjoyed it. I was a massive fan of the original kind of Susan Sarandon, not the original, but the Susan Sarandon, the Winona Ryder version, the Christian Bale version. That I absolutely loved. But I really liked the spin that this movie mm. has on it. And it, it features a lot of flashbacks, some good performances from Saoirse Ronan, um, Emma Emma from Harry Potter, because I can't remember her name right now. But you know who I'm talking about. <laughs> Emma Watson. Emma Watson, that's the one. I just Emma the, from Harry Potter. I just had Emma Thompson in my head and I have no idea idea how to get rid of that but you know who I mean <laughs> um, yeah it's a good old film and it's uh, it's one for the girls I think Little Women as you can um, imagine <laughs> I think it'll fly off the shelves on DVD yeah. I think this will actually be quite it's a high a seller I mean also I mean one that I'm not as confident about on DVD is uh, Vivarium which has been released this week oh. this was uh, put out on digital quite early during lockdown is of course the story of uh, a couple played by Imogen Poots and, and Jesse Eisenberg I always say Aaron Eisenberg uh, Jesse Eisenberg who uh, move into a uh, well find themselves forced to move into a mysterious house in the suburbs from which they cannot escape. It is Black Mirror-style mayhem. It is Twilight Zone-level chicanery. Tell you what, here's a sampling. Yonder is a wonderful development. Both tranquil and practical, it has all you'd need and all you'd want. And as for the prices, it's no wonder these houses are getting snapped up. (laughs) I know what you guys are thinking. Suburbia. But there's more to yonder than what you see in these images. We've lovely people, all sorts of people ready to move in. It's going to be a diverse community. Something different, a nice blend. Where's it located? Near enough. And far enough. Just the right distance. It's a little creepy, and also I can't again think about it again. I just it, it would have been funnier before lockdown. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Watching this during lockdown was a bit. It's too that, close was, to that was the very bone. trying. 
it's an interesting watch. It's one that I think if you if you find Black Mirror more disturbing than entertaining, you definitely <laughs> don't want to endure over an hour and a half of this. And of course, uh, disturbing and entertaining is the watchword for our last film, and I'm very very happy to say that this has finally gotten a UK DVD release. And it is of course Bong Joon Ho's 2013 sci-fi dystopian epic. It is Snowpiercer. The timing of this is based entirely on the fact that Parasite did very well. It had been buried under the uh, the Harvey Weinstein rubble. He had had you know the act out for this film for a long time, and uh, of course the TV series, the TV adaptation, starts on Netflix this next week. Uh, I've seen the first episode. I can tell you it is worth watching. It does do something different, and it does sit halfway between the book and the film adaptation in terms of what to expect. Uh, the film is incredible. All-star cast, Chris Evans, John Hurt, Tilda Swinton, Jamie Bell. Uh, a couple I won't tell you for spoiler reasons. Phenomenal film. Uh, absolutely check this out. And if you can check it out ahead of seeing the TV series and you want to see a different interpretation that's all done in one big go definitely check this movie out. It's one of my favourite films of all time. I think it's the best film of the last decade. Uh, absolutely see Snowpiercer. Well, I might go and watch it after that recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and also, I'm not sure if we'll ever get through an off-screen without you mentioning it in some way, shape, or form. Do I mention Snowpiercer a lot? I've a never lot, noticed. A lot, yeah, funnily enough. But, um, I've, never, I've never mentioned that it's a bit good. Yeah, maybe, just a bit. I'm st- I still haven't seen it because I don't believe anything that Dan <laughs> says, really. Um, <laughs> but you lot can prove me wrong. Well, that is a quite a list for DVD and Blu-ray. Should we move on to some streaming? Uh, because this is all on Amazon Prime from Sunday, uh, May 24th. So you've got another good, big batch of things to watch here, kicking off with, oh, I actually really enjoyed this, Mad Max Fury Road. Do you enjoy this? Uh, yes, Fury Road, I think, is an absolute classic. We were talking earlier about Jodie Comer uh, getting cast, potentially being cast as young Furiosa for the prequel-sequel thing that George Miller's doing. This is a phenomenal film. Uh, Tom Hardy, of course, as the new Mad Max. But, of course, he's playing second fiddle to Furiosa, as played by Charlize Theron. How there was no Oscar nomination in this one for Charlize Theron. Astounding. Astounding. It's a hell of a performance. Yeah, it really yeah. is. Um, I also think that she's possibly stepping down from this because there was a lot of chat about her and Tom Hardy just not getting on during production for this. Which they've they've been quite upfront about and they have said a lot of that is to do with the circumstances of filming. It's a very tough production. You're in the desert. You yeah. don't know quite what you're doing. Which is fine. It's, it's a film unlike any other. You have to imagine it would, it would you'd have no idea what it was you were filming. But of course, um, <laughs> speaking of having no idea what you were filming, Passengers leaps to mind. Um, <laughs> You'll have no idea is... what you're watching either. <laughs> oh. Well, the thing with Passengers is this was a script that had sat on the blacklist for a couple of years. It had been uh, declared to be you know, one of the best unproduced scripts in Hollywood. It finally got made by Morton Tilden, who had made The Intimidation Game, uh, starred Jennifer Lawrence and Chris Pratt, who were both at the top of the height, the very pinnacle of their fame at that moment. And you know, It was young, it was sexy, it was glossy, it was cool. It's a sci-fi tale that it turns out, when you play it back has something of a creepy undertone that proves problematic and audiences do shy away from that so they maybe should have thought that one through but of course escaping controversy entirely one last pick for amazon prime that's being unleashed on sunday this is gonna be one from your childhood years from your childhood vault as as it is mine backs Richie Rich. Yes, and who doesn't want a McDonald's in their house? <laughs> I mean, if you have one, I wouldn't survive. If you have one big takeaway from that movie, it's that. And takeaway, yes, is kind of the key word in that. Um, mm. What a brilliant film, Macaulay Culkin. 
again talking about the height of his fame this is like you know just post home alone let's get on get him doing other cool stuff and again he created another iconic nostalgic movie richie rich be the richest kid on the block or in fact in the world and you've got everything at your feet but it's not all about the money that you make oh it's about the friends you make along the way and this film is actually nicely positioned in about 1994 when you could get away with that level of hokiness so Yeah, it's it's still technically a classic, so you can you can revisit Richie Rich as indeed I will be when it arrives on Amazon Prime, along with Mad Max Fury Road and Passengers on Sunday, May the twenty fourth. So you know there's three great films there for you to see. I mean, I personally quite like Passengers, despite how problematic it truly is. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> you can make your own mind up. At the very least, it's sexy looking. Yeah. That's all I'm going to say. Look, it's all, sexy I'm, looking. all I'm going to say about the entire selection that we've got for you this week, and it, again, it astounds me week on week that we've got such great picks, given that we're all in lockdown, mm. um, is just don't listen to Van. I'm not sure that he really likes Snowpiercer. I think he's just kind of... <laughs> Doing it for some attention-seeking purposes. Am I, am I underselling Snowpiercer? Am I not underselling, selling it well yeah, enough? Yeah, you're not selling it well enough. Um, but, you know, guys, if you are after that big release that you managed to miss at the cinema and now you want to catch it on uh, on your small screen, you can do it on digital now. And our recommendation for that would definitely be Queen and Slim for you. You've got an incredible 90s selection on movies on TV this week as well. So check out The Craft. You've got Scream there as well. And also Wanted for a little something a little bit silly. And then again, on your DVDs, your Blu-rays and your streaming, you've got a huge selection there as well. It's been a good week. It, it has. And most importantly, it did give us not only a Nev Campbell double bill, it gave us a Ski Ulrich double Stop bill. Stop it. Let's end Starring this now. Starring both of Let's them at the now. same time. <laughs> I'm just saying, that cinematic perfection right there, which I think brings us to the end of, of this week, Miss Perfect. It so, does uh, Well, there's only, uh, only one last thing to say, and that's uh, this has been Off Screen. I've been Van Conner. And I've been Bex Perfect. We'll do it all again next week. 